Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Karen. It's great to see you again. Are you having a nice break so far? You know what? It, you know, once we got past all the wind and snow from last week, now we're shoveling out. And yeah, it's been a nice uh, little pause of uh, school operations. Because for a few you days. had, what, what would you get? A couple snow days in oh. there? What was it? What did you have? I can't yeah. remember because my son was really happy, by the way, <laughs> my high schooler. Well, so early in the season now, we've had, we had a late start, and then we had a late start that turned into a close. And then we had an early dismissal one day, oh, yeah. and then we had a full-on closure day. And that's right. It's not even January yet, so it was nice to get people out of school last week and just get home. And then it got cold and windy and snowy. And you couldn't and go anywhere. Nowhere. Those roads were just brutal. Well, you weren't supposed to go anywhere, Paul. That's right. And, and <laughs> the Petersons did not. We we uh, hung out at home. And but yeah, we'll get everything cleaned up and we'll get back to school next Tuesday. But. Yeah, it's been a nice break. How about you? Well, I was going to ask you if this isn't a blessing in disguise in a way, because, you know, with COVID and things like mm-hmm. that, taking maybe a longer break, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. I, you how, know, how have things been in the schools, by the way? Have you had many outings because of whether it's COVID or flu or whatever respiratory things yeah. going on? COVID, we've been in good shape. You know, the, the number of COVID cases this year just drastically down from where we've been the last okay. few years. But uh, influenza has been uh, off, the, off the charts. Is it mainly in the younger elementaries? Yeah. Or? Yeah, a lot of lot of young kids, um, you know, here and there a little RSV, but for the most part, and then just the common the respiratory virus. People will be sick for days. They'll go to the doctor, and yeah. the doctor will say, "Oh, yeah, you can't have, do anything. You got a cold, rest, <laughs> lots good. of fluids." Yep. So yeah, it was a nice it, it was nice to have a few days because we were you know staff wise we were doing all right, but kids kids absences were high, and you know now you know the other the other part of that though is now that kids are gone, they've probably been out with friends or they've been out with family (laughs) and they'll come on back in bring it all back to school yeah we'll see we'll probably see a little if the last few years have been any indication we'll see a a little spike here you know by mid-january but um nothing nowhere near where we've been in the covid uh, times well my son had one of those those cold things um and was feeling sick and so he missed a day but it happened all before that other stuff so it's kind of nice that he had a chance to recover and didn't yeah. miss so many days yeah and and what we've what we said before covid during covid is same as true as now is that is if you're sick stay home please like, please you know yeah. it used to be before where you'd say well just just buck up and and just work through it or whatever yep. but you know we know now how the spread and can cause so many other problems for others so. we do yep and uh thankfully that that hopefully that's shifting where people and, it, and it's tough to miss school i mean kids want to be in school because they know they're going to miss things and but well then get behind that's the worst thing my, my son's still behind and he's still trying to catch up you know it's and some of those i remember being in high school and in college where if you got sick and you, there were some classes where if you if you missed a day you just felt you're oh, so far behind. Yeah, how am I going to? But you do. You, f- you figure yeah. it out. But yeah. yeah, eventually. Well, now I know this is a busy time of season for you because it is the legislative season. The legislature is going to be starting. The school is going to be looking for support mm-hmm. as it happens every round of legislative uh, sessions. So uh, what is going on with the Mankato Area Public Schools in terms of your legislative platform for 2023? Yeah, well, right right before the snow and the wind and the cold came uh, a week or so ago, we had an opportunity to meet with our legislators. Uh, the MAPS Legislative Committee started their our work in November, and we met uh, several times, and that was a committee that was put together. It has a few board members, a few district leaders, a few um, quite a few teachers, we had a handful of parents. We even had a student uh, serve on the committee this year that was charged with developing the Mankato Area Public Schools platform. And that platform is all about um, making sure that public education is front and center uh, at the legislature this uh, upcoming session. 
And uh, we also wanted to make sure that our platform was unique to our communities that we serve and the things that we've been seeing and working through over the last few years. And it's been, you know, two years since the funding of, of you know, the a funding year up at the legislature. So we had a chance to meet with those legislators uh, back on December 19th and uh, share with them our platform that is really centered on kids and the support that they need to be successful learners and uh, had a great turnout. We had a packed uh, packed crowd and we also had three of our local legislators come and um, hear what those priorities are. Okay, so let's talk about what some of those priorities are. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it starts and it, it starts, ends, and everything in between is about the funding of our schools. Um, and so you, you hear a lot. We've been talking a lot within schools over the last several years, but now knowing what the current situation is going to be up with the legislature, this idea of fully funding public education, um, most dollars from uh, four schools comes from the state. And that's been in place for decades and decades and decades. The challenge has been that the dollars that have come to public education have not either kept up with inflation, have not kept up with the costs of um, providing an education to students, and they also haven't uh, kept up with expectations that we continue to place on schools. And so this is uh, the time of uh, the, 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 the current situation, the political situation, the budget, the budget situation, really point to um, public education being front and center um, and making sure that fully funding, and that is the general education, uh, we can talk a little bit about special education, um, is just so important for us to continue to invest in what public education does, and that is create the next workers and citizens and neighbors and voters within our communities in our state. Well, there is a budget surplus, as we all hear about, and of course, everybody wants a part of that pie, yeah. including education so i mean that's the thing you're kind of um working against you is that everybody else wants the same piece of that big pie that's right that's right and uh when we met with the legislators legislators last week they all three of them said the same thing is that they know that yes a 17 and a half billion dollar surplus that's a big number and I think one of them said they've probably they they've already spent it like ten times, right? Because everybody <laughs> wants this, 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 and this, right? And you know, I and I think that you know here at KMSU, I mean, higher education, there are significant needs. I read President Inch's um, letter to the editor or his my view in the Free mm -hmm. Press recently, compelling case for really investing in higher education within the state, and now is the time to do it. And I think that because the dollars are there from early learning through high school, into college, and even supporting adult basic education and just that lifelong learning, there's going to be dollars there. And and I think that public education, we know that there will be a lot of others um, at the table looking for those resources. And what our legislators told us is that there's likely to be enough dollars where they can do some funding of, of, of priorities. And, you know, we're definitely going to make the case that public ed needs to be there. But they're also talking tax cuts. They're talking rebate checks. They're, um, and some of the dollars we understand is one is one time. So it's not like if you can have ongoing expenses with those dollars. But uh, yeah, th there will be competing uh, forces up at the Capitol. But as I've said since I got here to Mankato, and I think that we understand we need to be unapologetic. You know, there's a lot of people fighting for what they what they believe. And in our role as public educators, we need to be right there with uh, everyone else making the case and not just asking for the dollars but making the case for why those dollars are so important for not just the kids today but really the future of our communities in our state but you know one of the things uh, the crisis 
prices or costs have increased. You know, you've got the extra mm-hmm. security issues that we have to deal with in schools, unfortunately, and those sorts of things seem to be um, at the forefront of a lot of people's mind as well. So it's not only you're funding their education, you're funding the protection of our students, which is a kind of a frustrating thing to have to do. But nowadays, that seems to be a priority as well. It really is a reality. And, and I think that gets to that idea of increased expectations of schools. And, you know, we've we've seen over the years that more and more um, is put on schools, uh, whether that's because kids are coming in from environments where those supports aren't aren't there or whatever the reasons are. And I think schools are filled with people who feel like they have this moral duty and ethics to provide everything that they can. But most of those come with costs. And um, as those expectations have increased, we just need to make sure that the resources are also there as well. You know, one of the things we've talked about on previous shows is the issue of not having enough teachers, not enough paras, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And that seems like it's an ongoing thing that you just can't throw more money at necessarily because how are you going to get more people that are going to want to be teachers? So, I mean, is there something to address that issue? Well, I think one of the ways that we need to do it as a society, and this isn't specific to Mankato, but if you look at the the beating that public educators have taken in the last few years, mm-hmm. um, and then we have teacher shortages, and we wonder, God, why don't we have enough teachers? Right. Well, you know, we we have to be careful about how we talk about the work, how we talk about the hard work that they've done through COVID. I mean, if there's ever been a time where it, the value of having that regular instruction daily interaction between kids and staff, my gosh, COVID just proved that. Um, And it proved it because when we came out of it, it was really different for a while. So one of the ways we just have to make sure that we're championing our teachers, we're showing that it's a great life, it's a great lifestyle. We got to be careful at the administrative level to make sure that the workload is uh, reasonable and it's balanced. Um, Being a teacher is a way of life, but it can't be the only part of your life. And Thankfully, we've got great relationships here at MSU Mankato where we're working really hard on Grow Your Own uh, grants and scholarships and figuring out creative ways to make the case to our community members that classrooms are great places to be. I mean, there's nothing like spending the day with kids. Uh, they can rock your world. I mean, they'll they'll break your heart, but they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll also just make you feel as if, uh, you know, you're on cloud nine. And um, it's, it's, it's great work. And... Uh, but having a pipeline of teachers yeah. is really important for our future. And, you know, part of that, and I'm sure the teachers would agree, is, you know, paying them mm-hmm. what the, what they're, what they're they have to deal with. I think if, because I, I remember mentioning this to you, my husband, Jeff Pribble, who is also a professor here at Minnesota State, filled in for Julia Battern yeah. for three weeks. He taught in the Mankato East High School and... Well, she was away in Antarctica yeah. on a, a trip to learn more about climate change, et cetera. And, you know, he teaches at the college level. And mm-hmm. in some ways, the high school was more difficult oh, I, yeah. because you're dealing with a, a different population um, that maybe doesn't have the maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and maybe they don't want to be there like college students. You're yeah. paying to be there. So you want to be there, that kind of thing. And I mean, it was hard work. And he said, you know, it's really you have to really be wanting to do this and yep. and be a person who can be able to do this. So I mean I don't think it's an e- I think it's a hard job that people don't realize how hard it, it is. It is yeah the when ex, the, the magic of an exceptional teacher is that they have content, they have skills, they have knowledge they'd like to mm-hmm. that they want to see that students gain through their courses or course or grade level whatever it may be. But at the same time they have to uh, 
they have to take those kids right where they're at. Right. And they they may be highly confrontational or they may be super uh, disconnected with themselves, with their peers, with the teacher, with the content. Yeah. Um, they may be super excited about something that happened at home or they may be, come into a classroom like combative. And exceptional teachers have this way to take whatever they got in front of them and make it work. I don't think everybody's meant to be a teacher, including me. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, Were you a teacher, Paul? I was, yeah. I taught social studies, uh, and I taught uh, high school, 9 through 12, right. um, all different sorts of courses. And, boy, I tell you, those first couple of years gave me a run for my money. You know, And, and I, I was one of those teachers thinking, can I do this? Like, yeah. it, can I do this? And, I mean, the, the late nights and early mornings that teachers continue to put in, always thinking. I, I used to always tell my kids, uh, and whether this was good or bad, they were the last thing that I thought about before I f- fell asleep. And <laughs> when I woke up in the morning, it's the first thing I thought of is yeah. my classes. Am I ready for class? And then before I went to bed, am I ready for class? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a it's a great profession. Um, it's a great life. Um, but we need to make sure that we can communicate that with the people that we need to fill our schools. And we can't just fill our schools with warm bodies. They need to be well. That's the, that's people. the thing, you know. And I I think there's been a question in the past of requiring a teaching degree, yeah. and then I think haven't some gone to where they don't require specifically a teaching degree? I don't know. Is that the case? Or yeah. Well, and that gets back that to our, that gets back to our legislative platform. Is that we we appreciate the flexibility that the state has provided in, in the last few years. Um, most people who teach come out of a four year institution like MSU, and and I know I've mentioned it on this show. MSU's College of Education is top tier. I mean, University of Minnesota and MSU Mankato are right there. Um, and I would even, you know, argue that the the Maverick program here is is better than anything in the state. Uh, most people come out of institutions like this, but there's also opportunities for people who maybe, you know, what used to be called non-traditional students mm-hmm. who maybe are in the workforce and say, I've got a four-year degree. I'd like to try out teaching. We now have a tiered licensing system in the state where people can get in um, with a tier one or even a tier two license, try it out. And if it's something that they like, then maybe hop into a program at an MSU and then accelerate that so they're not 40-some years old and then feel like, gosh, it's going to take me four years to become a teacher. That's just not realistic. People can't afford it. They don't have the time. They may have a family. Um, So that that flexibility, and that is part of our uh, platform is that we want to continue to encourage the state to look at those flexibility areas, but at the same time, we can't we can't make becoming a teacher um, like uh, something that you can just get over the weekend. Right, I mean, the, you can't the, be like, well, you you get forty hours of training and boom, you got your <laughs> license, right? Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's a professional element to 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 this work that really needs to be honored and valued and uh but there are ways that uh, the state has done that and we want to make sure that they keep doing that well you know they have the accelerated nursing program because of the needs and they've worked with that i know msu has and i do see that that's one of your support flexibility to expand teacher licensure pathways and right. obviously that's going to be a key to making sure you get that support well in, and you know schools like ours um at east and at west we have teacher cadet programs where we're trying to get kids to think about, hey, you know, right now you're a student, but someday you could be a teacher and, you know, the roles could be flipped here. And um, that's a long-term investment. You're sure. not going to be having a ninth or a 10th grader. <laughs> no, sometimes you do. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was one of those kids where Are I you? was pretty sure I was going to be a teacher. Oh. 
But it's about planting seeds with folks um, and having them get experiences and maybe go out and do some observation at their old elementary school or um, have a chance to hear some guest speakers talk about the profession. But then there, some of the shorter-term things is really connecting with our adult community here in the Mankato area. Um, there's a lot, and the workforce here is really tight. We know unemployment's really low, but uh, education is a great uh, career to be in. And have hasn't the school system actually created programs, you to mention the workforce, that have, have actually tied into that workforce? So some, because some, maybe some kids don't want to go on to college. So I know when Grant started school, I think one of his first classes was, was welding, for yeah. example. And that never used to be a thing. I mean, that's more of a trade kind of thing. We used to have shop. I remember way back in my day, I built a greenhouse for my first project, by the All way. All right. <laughs> Little one. Uh, so are there more of those types of programs where you're trying to get them actually so I guess hands-on stuff. There are, there are, and that and that again comes back to the fully funding of education because Mankato Area Public Schools is really committed to building out what are called these career pathways. Um, well, that's what th- it's called. Okay, yep. I knew there was some sp- yeah. special term. And they've been around for a while, but they take resources. And sure. um, a career pathway is not just one course, or it's not just one experience. You have to those experiences need to build on each other and then potentially lead to college credit, potentially an AA degree. Uh, there's a lot of schools that uh, are figuring out ways for a student to graduate with his or her high school diploma and an AA, which then they can walk on, say, an MSU campus with a junior status. Mm-hmm. And that really is saving them dollars. It's saving them time and getting them ready uh, for that world of work. So we're really interested in continuing to expand that. I think agriculture is a no-brainer for our for our area. And in the past, you know, really Mankato did not have any agriculture. Yeah. When I came to town, I was I thought, what, what? What? What do you mean? We're in the middle of agriculture country, which was the most bizarre thing. And I know that, you know, now that you've got several instructors, you've added yeah. programs, like, you know, you built the greenhouse and things like that. And so it's really, and Mankato, or MSU has actually expanded pretty right. significantly as well. I think part of that is 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 just continuing to raise awareness that the the old stereotypes of what it means to be in ag um, doesn't necessarily mean you're in production. That doesn't right. mean that you're out at the farm. That was uh, my, that's how I grew up. Yeah. You know, and that's what I thought too. You know, you, you go, you milk cows, you yep. plant your crops. But, but when you, th- oh gosh, when you think about agri-science or you think about agribusiness or, agri- or the commerce industry, I mean, there's so many elements of our region are connected mm-hmm. back to agriculture and having students just help, helping them make those connections. They may not be that ninth grader in a classroom saying, I'm going to go work at a dairy farm. But they sure as heck may become an accountant or a insurance uh, broker or someone who has connections back to the huge industry here, you know, right here in the green seam. I was going to ask you that. Do you, does the school interact and do things with the green seam at this point? I assume there's some connection. We do. We do. Yeah. They, they have been incredible supporters. Um, Like you mentioned that as the greenhouse uh, was being funded and then got put up, Mm -hmm. Sam and his team and the board of directors. um, Sam Ziegler from green seam. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sam Ziegler. Um, they have always been looking at because they they get it. It it can't just be about the the current industries, but it also has to be about future workforce. And public schools is where that that uh, future workforce is, and so they want to get in. And we've got excellent teachers here in in Mankato that are really doing a great job of exposing kids. I know another priority you have is especially for those younger kids, the pre kindergarten, preschool, whatever you want to call it, early childhood education, mm-hmm. because that's. I think a big piece where those kids, if they don't get a good start, they're going to be kind of back in back 
I, they need to get ahead or they won't get ahead otherwise. Yeah, yeah. The, the research has really been sticky on that for, for well over 10 years now, 10, 20 years, about the investments that you make in early learning pay off big time, um, not just for the students or not just for their life as they go through two or three to five and then enter kindergarten, but throughout their life. And then as a result, throughout a community and a state's life as they become lifelong learners, as they become workers, as they become uh, people who pay taxes and are, are positive citizens and all of that. So um, sometimes when people think of early learning, we, we, can, we go back to, oh, they're playing with blocks and they're just running around. But <laughs> right. the, the biggest way that kids um, in the earliest of ages learn is through play. And so having play environments, we we uh, are continuing to refurbish the old MRCI building up here by campus. That is going to be the MAP Center. It is the MAP Center and for Learning. that right now is in process because it's you've got a small segment of it open, correct? Yeah, yeah. it's a huge building. I right. Mean, it's, it's, so we so have, what's the plans or what what's going on? Yep, so we have four classrooms right now that are operational um, okay. with early childhood um, How education. How many kids can the, you support then? Well, right now we've got uh, upwards to 40 students um, in in the building. But okay. when that building is full on, that will be able to serve hundreds and hundreds every single day. Um, it's a it's a large facility. Uh, it will be early childhood. It will be early childhood special education. It will be family education, parent education. Really, will be a hub. Will that be funded uh, so parents won't have to pay? Because I think right now, what like when for example, our son. Grant, he was in uh, the children's house here for child care, sure. but because of his autism, they recommended that he have a more structured program, mm-hmm. so he went to the YMCA, which we had to pay for. It mm-hmm. was a structured program. So will this program in this childhood uh, education thing be one that people have to pay for, or will it be like public school where your kids go and it's just expected, or how yeah, does that work? It'll be a little bit of everything. So, oh, okay. uh, there are some preschool programs that are um, fee-based, uh, sliding okay. scale, yeah. based on mm-hmm. income and all that. But then there are other uh, educational um, elements, special education being one of those, that um, is free for for those people who, um, who take advantage of those programs. We're really excited to have wraparound care uh, in the Center for Learning, um, and that wraparound care is just going to be critical for parents who... What does that mean? Well, wraparound, is that's really daycare opportunities uh, for whether it's, let's say, a, a mom or a dad drop off their student at 8 a.m. because they got to get to work. Sure. Well, preschool doesn't last, typically doesn't last all day long. <laughs> right. Preschool is like a couple-hour segment. Yeah. Well, coming back and forth to pick up your child, bring them to, day, bring them to either preschool or daycare, and then flip-flop that after it's over... This is doesn't real, work. really yeah. burdensome. Mm-hmm. So having a facility where a student can start in daycare, mm-hmm. maybe at 10 o'clock when their preschool program starts, they get walked down the hall, two hours in the preschool program, and then they go back to the daycare facility. So this, it's all wrapped around in one facility, one big program, um, and s- parents can go do their thing. They can go get their work done and then come and pick their kid back up. Is the biggest challenge you have, Paul, is uh, – the maintaining of students coming to the public schools because mm-hmm. aren't a lot choosing other options, whether yeah. it's private or homeschooling, for example. Is that the biggest issue you're facing or is that just one of many? Well, it, it's it's definitely an issue. And I would say in the last couple of years, COVID-related um, public schools like ours took a, a, a gut punch when it came to student enrollment. And we want students in our schools because we believe we've got high-quality programs, incredible staff, um, and we're getting kids ready for the next phase of their life of learning, et cetera. Um, that's why we want them in our schools. Now, the other part of that is 
as your enrollment drops off, that means your revenue is dropping off. Oh, right. And so as revenue drops off, then you're making cuts to either staff or programs or probably both. And that can be just this, this vicious cycle where you can't spin yourself out of. Um, but so definitely that's one. We do believe that the legislature is well positioned to help. Not The legislature doesn't need to need, we don't need their help to help us find students. We know that that's our work, and if we keep telling good stories about our positive, positive messaging on what our schools are doing for kids and their families, we'll be just fine on that. But where the legislature needs to um, uh, chime in is making sure that they're keeping up with rates of inflation, the cost of educating kids, and the expectations of doing that. So let's say the legislature fully funds what you're asking mm-hmm. for. Does that mean you still have to have a referendum of some sort? Yeah, we'll probably be doing something in 2023. Uh, our school board will start uh, taking a closer look at that here in January. We'll start making some um, budget adjustment plans in the late winter, early spring, have those go through. But then, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have two different things happening at once. We've got some facilities that definitely need attention. We don't have safe and welcoming and um, entrances in all of our schools. We've got to take care of that. Uh, West High School hasn't had any water in that pool for three plus years. We've got to take care of that. Um, West itself is a is a school that has uh, got rich tradition, but boy, it's shown its wear and tear. And, and so we need to do some renovating there, similar to what we did at East about 10 years ago. Um, and then we've got to make sure that we build out that center for learning and the early learning and the preschool and um, and we do all those things right. So we've got all of those challenges on the facility ends. And then operationally, um, the legislature can help us out huge this winter, um, but we also need structural balance. And that structure is going to come, a lot of it's going to come from the state. There's probably going to have to be a local solution to that as well. And um, we've got our cabinet team, and we have a new director of business services, Amanda Heilman, who just started with us. She's doing a deep dive on our budget, and um, a really important part of her work isn't just to help us make sure that we land this year in a good place, mm-hmm. but her work is really about projecting us out in the next two, three years. And that's, that's so referendum uh, potential. We'll be making those decisions later in 2023. So what does the work look like, Paul, in terms of approaching the legislature? I mean, obviously, you've been chatting with them now. Mm-hmm. What are the next steps? What happens? Yeah, so all of uh, – and our, we, have, we have great legislators. They're supportive of, of schools. They're supportive of, of the work that uh, we've done and that we're um, asking them to do in the next several weeks and months. Um, and what we shared with them is this isn't a one and done. We're not going to give you our, our glossy legislative platform and wish you well. <laughs> Um, whether it's through text message, whether it's through phone calls, um, but I'll be spending some time up at the legislature. Um, there are uh, education committees in both the House and the Senate. The governor uh, eventually will come out with his budget plan. Um, the forecast uh, in the last few weeks, as that came out, looks very favorable. Um, and uh, so it's it's just a, a, about with running the risk of being annoying. Now, no one, nobody wants an annoying superintendent at the legislature, but you also need to be there to answer <laughs> questions. Um, give testimony if needed, um, and again, to, to make the case that these dollars, um, this is not a black hole. This is about investing in the future, and um, the best way that they can do that is to support public education. Paul, is there a price, a tag that goes with your legislative platform? I've got a sheet. A, it's a double-sided sheet. Mm-hmm. This is 2023 legislative platform. Is there a dollar amount that you fix to this that would help fulfill this? Well, the, the in special education, that, that is underfunded here in Mankato to the tune of $7 million a year. So that's just the special education, what's sometimes referred to as the cross-subsidy. When it comes to the fully funding of 
education, the general education, we know that the per pupil funding at the state level has not kept up with inflation to the tune of $1,000 per student. And we have 8,000. And we have 8,000 students. Yeah. You know, so we're, so that's that's big. And that's that's just to keep up with inflation. There, there's even more values into that. So th- there isn't a, we don't have a quantifiable number here in Mankato, but uh, we do know that there was a an MDE finance committee working group that uh, put together some dollars several years ago uh, as to what it would take to fully fund. Again, big numbers, but when you're looking at $17.5 billion, that's a really big number. And, that's um, a lot. <laughs> and so <laughs> lot. Uh, we, want, we just want to make sure that public ed is um, at the table. Very good. Well, I want to thank you for coming in. Uh, you're coming in every month and kind of update us. We'll uh, hopefully next month you'll have a little more updates and things because you'll be having gone up to the legislature, I assume. Yep. Well, thank you very much and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Karen. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Paul Peterson, who is the superintendent at uh, the Mankato Area Public Schools, joining us again and telling us all that's happening. We appreciate your time. It is 1031 and we're going to continue with our list of my top songs of 2022.